Welcome to the Point Church Teaching Podcast. I'm Corey Ickes, one of the pastors here at Point Church in Fort Liberty. We seek to exalt Jesus and equip the saints through expositional preaching and teaching. I hope you're encouraged and uplifted from this week's teaching. Have you found it all? Have you found it all in Jesus? It's a, such a, a beautiful song and one that I think by God's grace and maybe the skill of our worship team so well sets up our time in the Word. If you would, turn in your copy of the Scripture to Romans chapter 8. We are finishing out this great chapter. One, this chapter is known as like the, the awe passage, like A-W-E, awe, like we stand in awe. Uh, I think some might refer to it as the great eight Uh, There is such profound and incredible truth in the Word of God, in every bit of it, and this one is just jam-packed. It's jam-packed. And so, as I was considering this text and and considering our church, because so, from a pastor's standpoint, I want to be faithful to the text, but I also long and desire for the Lord to lead me to speak directly to the people of God in this room. Okay, not to add or take away from his word, but to speak from his word in light of of who we are in this room. Okay? And so my great desire, family, is that we as the people of God here at Point Church would be a a set apart, a distinctive people who are putting our hope in the bedrock Okay? who are putting our hope in the bedrock of all that Jesus did. I'm, I'm afraid that many, myself included, we, we receive Jesus and we, we, we appreciate what He's done, but it's all kind of this, you know, it's kind of a future-oriented thing where it's like, hey, you know, Right now, I'm just kind of surviving, but one day, maybe, you know, I'll be with Jesus, and that's kind of the extent of it. But I I want us to understand that there is a profound, sure, firm hope for us today that actually we don't have to just get through this world. Like, we are going to suffer. We learned last week from the the section of text in chapter 8 that Josh preached that we are going to suffer. We are going to be in trials and tribulations that it is a part of the fabric of this fallen world. But, family, there is a rock-solid hope that we actually can cling to and, and not just, uh, just kind of hold on to, but be empowered by in trial and tribulation. Do you hear me? Like, like, we don't just have to be, woe is me. We don't have to just kind of, uh, you know, grind it out and live like we've been whipped. But like, we can actually push through hardships and trials, acknowledging their circumstances, acknowledging how hard it is, acknowledging that it's not ideal, but yet still cling joyfully to a truth that Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. See, many in the world's perspective look at faith or Christianity as just purely a crutch, right? 
There's many kind of famous sayings that go something like, hey, faith, religion, Christianity, it's essentially just a crutch to lean on for the weak. Just something that, hey, if you need something to kind of lean on, here's your thing. And I think sometimes the church kind of operationalizes that where it's like, hey, I just kind of, I need to, you know, we got to figure out kind of the, the best ways that we can help ourselves get through this. But family, today we're going to see glorious, glorious truth that is not a crutch, but actually it is, it is the vessel in which we board to pass through suffering, trial, and tribulation. We, we actually have something better than just kind of like insta-inspiration. You tracking with me? We've got something better and more robust and real than positive vibes. Okay, good feelings, best wishes, but we've actually got a bona fide, certified, undoable hope in Christ. But how do we access this? How do we, how do we access this hope? How do we move from just it being, it being words on a page to actually carrying us in the grind? How does it, how does it take us from from just being kind of a mental ascent, right? Where we read it on a page to actually when we're in the pit of despair, how does this hope actually hold us? And so I'm here today asserting that we, family, the people of Point Church, like you can actually rest your weary hearts and souls today. Anybody? Like you can rest your weary hearts and souls today through believing in the sovereign purposes of God and His unstoppable love for you. Do you hear me? That there is something about this truth that we're going to see today that is not just true on a page, but it can actually pick us up. It actually can hold us up. It can gird us up and carry us when nothing else will carry us. When that diagnosis hits and you feel all is lost, when transition comes and you have nothing but unknowns, and there's this propensity to want to sink back and go, I'm so fearful, I don't understand why God, what have I done, why would you do this, why would you allow this, and I'm just saying there is bedrock truth in this text that actually takes, it girds us up, it holds us like a mother holds a child and it carries us when we cling to it. And so practically, as we're looking at this truth, the takeaway today for us is that we move from mental ascent, we move from pages, words on a page, to actually people who are believing that this truth is sufficient, that it's enough for us. And then, here's the thing, daily preaching this truth to yourself. And to others. I was having a conversation this week about preaching the gospel to yourself. Because it's one of these things where it's like you endure these things with no victory and no joy. And it just feels like one big L. One big loss. And then after the fact, you're kind of trying to, to figure out what went wrong. How'd you go sideways? What transpired? And one of the ways that we combat that and actually get ahead of the loss or the felt loss is by taking the truth of God and smashing it, mushing it, packing it down 
into our hearts when we don't feel like it's true. So you're going to read some of these passages today and you're, you're probably going, yeah, that, that almost feels too good to be true. Or when I mess up, this certainly can't be true about me. But what I'm telling you today is that this is God's truth. It's his word. It's binding on him and him alone. And we are the recipients. Do you hear me? We are the, we are the gracious recipients who just get to catch with a basket all of his promises that find their yes and amen in Jesus. That's where we're going today. So let's buckle in and pray. Father, we bless your name for this truth. We praise you for the glorious hope that we have. And I'm praying, God, would you make us a hope-filled people? Would you take every person in this room and move us closer to Jesus today? Because we take his truth and we don't just kind of give it this mental nod, but God, we cling to it like the life raft that it is. And would it hold us, God? We're banking that it'll hold us and it'll keep us to the end. Lord, let it be. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Verse 29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The first thing that we see in these few verses is the sovereign purposes of God. And it's important for us to understand that God's sovereignty, the way that he operates over all things, the way that God himself in heaven rules and reigns over your circumstances, over my circumstances, over the circumstances of the cosmos, it it helps ground our hearts to understand that He has us. That, That this life that we're living that sometimes feels like such a cosmic mess where it's like, Man, it's so confusing. It like nothing makes sense. It's just one big dumpster fire. But the first thing that the people of God need to understand is the sovereignty of God who is above, under, and around everything that transpires. Why is this good news? Because think about the context. So the verses that preceded this text. Last week, Josh talked about there being great suffering in the world, that we are actually going to endure it. Verse 17 says that we will receive all this stuff as we share in the sufferings of Christ. The context of the Scripture here is people that are suffering. Anybody in the room suffering? Yes. That's, that's, thank you. I'm glad you said that. Because the reality is, is that all of us are suffering. Now, we may define it differently. You say, well, Corey, I'm not really, you know, I haven't lost anything. I don't have a diagnosis. But like, do you struggle with unbelief? Do you actually struggle to wrestle with the promises of God being true for you in the midst of hard living? Trial and tribulation. Have you experienced a lot of sickness like my household where it's just like one baby, two baby, three, four, all sick, boom, 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 boom. And it's like week in and week out. Yeah, guess there is trial in that. There is suffering that is happening in that. And you know what those things do? Even those little things that we kind of 
forget about or try to play off is that every bit of it works on us and gives us an opportunity to not believe God's truth or believe God's truth. So like when, when we've got a crying baby, this is real life story, uh, who apparently has the croup uh, last night and we're standing around in the bathroom huddled up with the shower running so all the steam gets into their little barking cough and rattling chest. In those moments where you want to do nothing but sleep and also have this panicky feeling about your baby, we have the opportunity to believe the truth of God or not believe the truth of God. And the, one of the first ways that we access the truth of God is understanding His sovereignty around it in suffering. That all of this, verse 28, we know that those who love God, all things, even your suffering, your trials, your tribulation, all of it works to the good. But there's some stipulations on this. This is not a promise for everyone. This is a promise for who? What's the context? The context is suffering. Who does it apply to? It tells us, for those who are called according to His purpose. Now there is a general call for all to repent and believe. But there is what's called an effectual call, or a call that's effective, that's actually taken effect, where Darius has received the general call, and he says, I need to repent and believe. That's the effectual call. That's where that call of God has actually taken root and produced repentance and belief. And it says that God will work all, that, all these things, all these circumstances of suffering, trial, and tribulation out for the good for those who are called according to His purpose. And so, family of God, the first thing that we need to do is understand that in, through, around every ounce of your suffering, God is sovereign. He is ruling over all. You know, there's times where we get blindsided. Maybe it's, you, you fill in the blank with whatever you're blindsided by, and it feels like the world gets knocked off its kilter. Like, all of a sudden, the world's not on its axis anymore, and it feels like you're so rattled. But I need you to understand who's not rattled. The one who is sitting sovereignly, who is unmoved, not because he doesn't have feelings, but because he is over and above everything. The one who holds the circle of the earth and all the cosmos in his hand is ruling sovereignly over your circumstances, child of God. He's ruling and he's working out your suffering for good. Now, here's what this text is not saying, okay? Because there's the, people like to take this text and just, they like to spin with it. This is not a, a promise to prosperity. Hear me. This is not a promise to easy living because we already learned that the context that this promise is issued in is suffering. This truth is not that you will receive the best thing that you suspect and estimate you deserve. Like, I don't deserve this ridicule at work. This can't be God's, this can't be God's good. I don't deserve to be suffering financial hardships. I work hard. I work way harder than such and such. This can't be the good of God. This tragedy that I just suffered, there is no way 
that God can use this for good. And what I'm telling you, family, is that because God is over, above, and around every bit of it as sovereign, king, ruling, and reigning, that there is not one millisecond, there's not one single moment of our suffering that's wasted, that doesn't produce something in us. Does it produce what we want all the time? Rarely. But does it produce God's good in us if it's drawing you to Him? Absolutely. He's working it all out. He's working it all out. This should take us to great hope when we are dwelling on this truth and we're, ba- we're banking and kind of building and operating our understanding of the world and our situation and our circumstances, understanding that God is holding every bit of it up with His hands. And He is seeking the good of His people that are called to His purposes. So, so here's how this looks practically. Something completely knocks you off your throne. Like you're just completely rattled and you're reeling and you're going, why? Why is this happening? What is going on? And maybe people around you are saying the same thing. Like even Christians going, man, this is bad. Are, are you in sin? Like, you know, think about Job's friends. They were not very helpful in him processing through his suffering. The first thing that we do is go, even when it doesn't feel like it, I'm going to bank that this verse right here is true, even though I can't make sense of it. And I'm going to tell you that there is suffering that I've endured, and I'm certain there's suffering that you've endured, that you may not even understand the full way that God has moved through that suffering. Like, you might not even look and see that there's a win yet. And that is where faith on the promise of God comes in. Because the truth is, we're not guaranteed that we're going to have all those W's. We're not going to be able to track every one of those on this side of heaven. Why? Because at the end of the day, God's purposes are far greater than ours. They're far greater. And so we should take great hope in knowing that He is holding all things. That He's not absent, but very much present with you in suffering. To who? The ones that He called. If you've repented and believed, you have been called. And here, look at the last little part of that verse with a purpose. Family, God is executing His purpose in your life. And so, if hardship comes, then we can actually entrust ourselves. When hard things come, we can actually say, Lord, I'm giving you, my, I'm, I'm giving you me. To will and do what you want that you'll make me more like Jesus. Because we're going to learn here in a second that the whole get, the whole purpose is conformity to Christ. That the whole, the whole kit and caboodle of our life here on this earth in Jesus is that we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another in the image of the Lord Jesus. And so when hardship takes us and we have nothing else to rely on, We are exactly where He wants us so that we rely on Him. Everybody tracking? Praise the God. Next verses, 29 through 30. These are verses, these are words. Listen, Paul is not throwing foreknew and predestined in there to drop some kind of theological mystery or bomb. We read it and understand in the context. It says that He, in verse 29, for those He foreknew, 
For him, God's intimate knowledge of you as a person ahead of time. Hear me. This, this whole life that you're living that feels so new to you, I need you to understand the God of the universe foreknew you. He knew who you were. He was ruling, reigning, and molding you in your life for a call and a purpose. Don't be sidetracked by that word, but understand and be, take courage that the God of the universe knows you by name. That the God of the universe knows the hairs on your head. That the God of the universe had some kind of foreknowledge of your existence before you ever knew yourself. He is that big, that mighty, that sovereign. We can take and like breathe easy and breathe deeply in trusting ourselves to the God who knew us ahead of time. And listen, it goes on and it says that not only did he foreknow, but he predestined God's decision. Hear me. God's decision ahead of time that we would be conformed to Christ. Read the rest of the verse. He predestined us to what? Be conformed into the image of the Son. What did God predestine ahead of time? That we would be like Jesus. You see, this isn't some thing that preachers have kind of grappled with or created, but this is God's intent for the people that he created is that everybody in this room would conform to the image of Jesus, our older brother. And it goes on and he says, he talks about Jesus being our older brother, conformed to the image of the Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So there's this picture of Jesus. We learned about it in verse 16 and 17 about being heirs with Christ. Like, Father God is our Father, and now the Lord Jesus, we're actually heirs like with our brother Jesus. We're being conformed to our older brother, the Lord Jesus, who went before us as a first, the eldest. He has paved the way. He has set the expectation and the way. And we, as God's heirs, as Jesus' little brothers, are going in conformity to the older brother. I talked to my boys who are the, the, the two oldest. Guys, there is a special weight and responsibility on the oldest brothers. Why? Because of the oldest brother, the Lord Jesus, the first of all creation. He came and he set the way. He showed it. He lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death that we, we should have died in order that we could be conformed to him. Older brother in the room, Take that seriously as the Lord Jesus took it seriously. 2 Corinthians tells us that we're being transformed. So he knew us and he intimately, intimate knowledge ahead of time. Way ahead, he commissioned and called us to live for him in conformity to Christ. And it says that he's called us. And I already talked a little bit about this. There's this effective call in which if you are in Jesus, you have been called. If you're in Christ in the room now, you've been called. And that, what that does is that helps you understand that you and me in Jesus, we have been set to a particular standard by a particular authority, and we have been given a new purpose in life. We've been called. If you've responded in repentance and faith, you have been called. 
There's no option. There's no opt-out. There's no waiver system. There's no plan B. You, family, in Jesus have been called by the one who knew you intimately at the beginning. You see, I hope that this knowledge of God having known you so far in advance and having called and predestined you is actually filling you up with faith that the God of the universe is not going to leave you stranded. That he's actually going to finish what he's done. So like you're in the midst of a thing going, man, Lord, I need you to respond. I'm, I'm here to tell you he has not left. Take heart. He's not gone anywhere. Because see, he, has, he foreknew you. He predestined you to conformity of Christ. He has called you in Jesus. He's not leaving you stranded. Bank on it. And when it doesn't feel true, preach it to yourself. Or get on the phone and get somebody to say, Hey, John Marie, I need you to tell me the truth about Jesus right now because I don't really feel like it's true. Be a good brother and tell me the truth about Jesus. Amen? I got a fist bump. Lastly, or the last two, he's justified us. We covered this in chapter 5. But he has made us right before God. Like we have been deemed officially like gavel has dropped the judgment has been sealed. We are deemed justified right before God. And the last one, he says, is we've been glorified, which is this, image, this idea of completion, that consummation, that one day we will be with the Lord Jesus face to face with new bodies and a new heaven and a new earth, no more sin, no more death, no more nothing nagging at us. We are glorified with the Lord Jesus. And all of this, family, begins to build and stir us up so that when we're going through suffering, we don't have this hopeless, gut-wrenching feeling, but we go, man, God, man, he, He's promised that He's going to work this stuff out for our good. He's promised that He foreknew me, and because He foreknew me, He, he predestined me, and He's called me, and He's justified me, and He's going to glorify me with the Lord Jesus. I am going to get through this. Do you need to know how? No. Do you need all the answers? No. What do we have? We have something better. We've got the promise of the one true God. There's no wasted suffering. If you're in the room and you're enduring hardship, hear me. You have one of two things. You can run in unbelief in your hardship and just go, man, I've got to fix this problem. I've got to do something. You can start getting real antsy. And I, I'm with you. I understand. And you're trying to figure out how you're going to make ends meet how many extra jobs you're going to work, how you're going to save this relationship, whatever it is, and you're, you're attempting to do something in your life that you can't do. And that's called unbelief. Or you can walk in belief in the promise of God in which he says, child, you're mine. I'm working in you for your good. Rest easy. Psalm 116 says, return Oh, my soul, to your rest. Why? For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. The psalmist, while he's pinning that, his circumstances did not change. He was still in a hot mess that he was in, running from his enemies. But he banked on the promise of God. And he said, soul, he preached the gospel to himself and said, soul, get back to your rest. Because God's always dealt bountifully. Anybody have a testimony of God dealing bountifully with you? Bank on it again tomorrow. 
Secondly, let's roll. This, listen, this is like the climax crescendo. I, I, I'm trying to think there's a literary term that talks about like the, the high like moment of the trajectory of the story, but the ending of this chapter is like Paul going freestyle and just completely off the rails, and it is one of the most unbelievable pinnings in the Scripture. And what it should do, it should provoke praise. It should provoke celebration. It should provoke awe because all of this is true. So let me just read it with you, and we're going to run through it bullet by bullet. Verse 31, what then shall we say to all these things? He's talking about basically chapters 1 through 7. What should we say about all this glorious truth? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, this is from Psalm 44, For your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who's loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Yeah, I, man, that was, that was a really good response in amens. I appreciate that. Point number two is that we bank on the unstoppable love of God. Hear me. Bank on the unstoppable love of God. In your weakest moments, in the moment in which you feel completely unlovable and there is no way that you are actually really saved or in Jesus, bank on the unstoppable love of God. Look at what he tells us. Our hearts are so weak. Anybody? My heart is so prone to unbelief. Like, I mean, I can wake up in the morning and just have this general sense of, I'm so bad. I'm so unworthy. My heart is so forgetful. Which is why we need this truth that God's love is unstoppable. He goes, who can be against us? There's these four questions. Who can be against us? Response, family. Who can be against us? No one. Nobody. Because God is for us. Church, hear me. Take heart. Like, take this text, I'd encourage you, take this text of Scripture, verses 31 through 39, and I would encourage you to read them daily for like a month. Just read them daily, pray through uh, each question, and begin to familiarize yourself, because here's the thing, a lot of times we don't preach the truth of God to ourselves because we don't know the truth of God. And right here is a section of text that is worthy to be memorized, worthy to be tattooed on your forearm. Luke, where are you? We talked about this this week. It's worthy of, of having like a serial killer sticky notes all over your dash or your bathroom mirror, whatever it takes, but put this scripture in your heart and preach it to yourself. Preach it to your spouse. 
Preach it to your kids. Preach it to your neighbor. Like, give the gospel to yourself and give it to others freely because this text outlines God's unstoppable love. Who can be against us? Nobody, because God is for us. This does not guarantee that people won't stand opposed to you. But what this does guarantee is that God of the universe is standing with you. And regardless of opposition, and even in this worldly, in this worldly place, let's say it's a, a situation of slander, and they seem to be victorious. I need you to hear me. That the God of the universe is for you. Your name could get completely trashed. Your, your reputation could get completely slandered and gone to pieces. But the God of the universe is standing next to his people and will not separate from you. It's a whole lot less about what other people say about you and what only matters is what the God of the universe says. I am with you. I love you. That's all that matters. I love in, in the situation of Philip, who was the first martyr in Acts. And we see that he's preaching and the crowd stirs up and, they're, they're, and, and even the Lord Jesus, when, when, when the crowd is stirring up, they're spewing lies. And everything in me when I read that, it's like, man, go make your name right. Go defend yourself. And you know what? They were both silent. Excuse me, I'm Stephen, not Philip. Darius is looking at me crooked. Stephen. Jesus and Stephen. These, they stood their ground silent. Stephen says, Lord, like, Father, forgive them. He's asking for forgiveness for them as they're spewing lies. They're being opposed, and it looks like the enemy wins because, you know what, Stephen dies. But I need you to understand who is standing up for him at the right hand of God, but the Lord Jesus, because God is for him. He's for you. Nobody in this room may be called to be a martyr for Jesus. I don't know. But I just need you to understand that even in pitily slander, even in great opposition that you suffer in this world, that maybe is just slandering your name or your credit or whatever, I need you to hear me that the Lord Jesus is standing with you. Take heart, family. He's with you. He has begun a good work. He's giving graciously all things. He's not just with you, but He's giving you all things. Secondly, who shall bring a charge against you? Church, let's answer. Who will who'll do it? Nobody. Nobody can bring a charge. Why? Verse 34, Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding on us. Church, hear me. Who can bring a charge against us? Nobody. Because God has already justified us in His Son. That, that when Father God looks down and He sees Corey, He doesn't see the hot mess. He doesn't see the accusations that are being flung. But He sees the Lord Jesus because by His grace, not because of what I deserve, but by His grace, He is seeing that I, Corey, am justified. I've been made right. The case is closed. There's no more room for appeals. The gavel has dropped. 
Nobody can bring a charge against God's elect. Again, family, don't, con- don't, don't mix earthly circumstances. Things may happen. But we're, we're not banking on skating through earthly circumstances with no suffering. We're banking on eternal promises that are true after we're dead and gone. You hear me? Like, we're, we're banking on being with Jesus. And that regardless of what transpires on this earth, that he that no charge can be brought against us. Who brings charges against us? The enemy. The devil himself wants to do nothing but persecute. He wants to do nothing but spew lies. Corey, how in the world could you do that? You call yourself a Christian? You, you actually think that God finds you righteous after what you just did? Anybody? Who could bring a charge against God's elect? Nobody. Why? Because Jesus has justified us. I talk to so many Christians who are like, man, I just, you know, I know God can forgive, I just can't forgive myself. Well, stop unbelieving the gospel. Because here, this is the thing, if the Lord Jesus has forgiven you and justified you, then you need to get with Him and believe what He says about you and stop listening to your own heart. No No accusation can stick in Jesus. Next, who can condemn us, church? There we go, no one. Why? Because in Jesus, all condemnation is gone, done. There is none. But Corey, I did some real bad stuff the other day. Once I was saved, there's definitely condemnation. And what Jesus says is, it is finished it's paid for it's been cleared it's been cast from the as far as the east is from the west it's it's done there is nothing but righteousness in christ now what this doesn't allow us for and we've already covered it in romans is it doesn't give us room to settle with sin it doesn't give us room to harbor sin but what it does do is it enables us to not look at the circumstances not listen to our heart not listen to the judgment of others but we actually listen to the truth of God that says there is no condemnation. No one can condemn you because you're in Jesus. You are in Jesus. It tells us that Christ is interceding. Hear me. Not only is the Holy Spirit interceding, we have already learned that in Romans, that the Holy Spirit is in in deep longings and groanings even without words. He's praying for you all the time. Hear me. You individual in the room, Holy Spirit God is praying for you. But what we learn here is that Jesus himself is interceding to the Father going, hey, that Nancy, she's yours, Father. She's yours all the time. She's yours. When Nancy messes up, she's still yours. Hey, when Barry, when he, when he was a bonehead, hey, he's yours, Father. He's yours. He's yours. Not on the basis of Nancy, not on the basis of Barry, but on the basis of of the Lord Jesus and what He did on the cross. No one condemns you. Jesus took all of our condemnation. Who can separate us from God? Nobody has made, like, no no thing, nobody. All of these circumstances, it talks about uh, trial, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, all these all these things that could get at you, none of it, none of it can separate you from the love of God. 
When you're at your loneliest and God seems to be nowhere near, nothing has separated you from the love of God. Everything in you says, I'm alone, and God is gone. But the word of God, his word about you is that I'm with you, and I'm with you always. Famine and nakedness. Family, there is believers around this world that are living. They are, they are doing this right here in jungles and basements in deserts in the cover of darkness because if they're found out, they'll absolutely be killed for following Jesus. They're banking that Jesus is with them. And that even if they're found out, even if they're found out, that he is with them. Even with the sword. Execution. We read in Hebrews 11 that there were so many who were killed because of their allegiance to Jesus instead of the emperor. Just like Stephen, it tells us that the Lord Jesus stood up at the right hand of God as Stephen went to be with the Lord. Family, nothing can separate you. Corey, how does this carry us in everyday life? First and foremost, we anchor everything that we ex experience and know in that God is ruling over all of it, that there's nothing outside of his hand or his reach, and that he's working for our good, these situations. That's the first thing. The second thing is that we go to a text like this and we just are reminded regularly of the love of God that's absolutely unstoppable, that cannot be thwarted, that will not be sidelined, that will not be overruled, that will not end the unstoppable love of God. It goes on in these last few verses. He says in verse 37, Now in all these things we are more than conquerors. That's not just like squeaking by a victory. That is like robustly victorious. That's, that's like being a conqueror yourself. You, you weren't just barely made it by, but you have overwhelmingly taken the ground. You are more than a conqueror in Jesus. Well, Corey, I surely don't feel more than a conqueror. Who is he writing to? He's writing to Christians sitting in Rome. He's, he's, he's writing to some of the most hated persecuted believers in the world who were hiding, who, who had to flee because the, the persecution was so bad that they had to go. And he's saying to them, those running for their lives, you are more than conquerors. How can that be true? How can those two things be true? The Psalm 44 tells that these people were being slayed day by day, unjustly. We see the Lord Jesus himself taken into a mock trial, stirred up against him, and then put to death in a faux, faux um, proceedings. Every bit of it was wrong and unjust. But you're more than conquerors. How are we more than conquerors? Because at the end of the day, the final say is not what transpires on this earth. The final say and the final verdict is not what transpires in your circumstance. The final verdict is what the Lord God himself says, that nothing can separate you from the love of God. That I am going nowhere, that you are mine, I am yours, and you are more than a conqueror. See, our victory family, don't gauge your victory, don't gauge the truth of this text based on your circumstances in this world. We're playing the long game 
We're banking on God's promises coming to fruition in a new heavens and a new earth. All of our eggs in that basket. Paul says, if it's not true, we are the greatest to be pitied. We're fools. But we're banking that it's true. For I am sure neither death nor life, nor angel nor ruler, nor thing present, nor thing to come, nor power, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The beginning of Romans 8 starts with no condemnation in Christ. The end of Romans 8 is that nothing can separate us from the love of God. People in the room, let your hearts rest today. Like, take a giant breath in the gospel. God's truth tells us that if we're in Jesus, He is sovereign and working out all of our suffering for our good. God's Word tells us that based on His Son's death, burial, resurrection, that we are more than conquerors. That, that we are actually not condemned anymore when, even when we feel like we're condemned. Here's the way that we practically battle unbelief. And that is that we begin to weigh what God says about us more than what your heart says about you. We begin to bank on what God's words is true about us versus what we feel or what some human standard has been set by another Christian friend on Instagram that you don't know. God's truth has to be the biggest influence in God in our life. Or it doesn't feel like it. That's okay. That's all right. Because you know what? I told somebody this the other day. Your feelings are liars. Like, write that down. Maybe the best thing that was said all day. Your feeling, they're liars. And the enemy can't touch you, but you know what he can do? He certainly can make circumstances feel like you're alone, like you're not with Jesus, that you're actually just a fraud, that you're not the real deal, that he's not really present. That is truth, like, is he actually going to come back? Are we really going to be with him? And every bit of it is accusation, and he knows how to work our feelings. Our heart, guys, we can't trust it. But what we can trust is this word. Thank you for listening to this week's teaching. If you'd like to learn more about how you can be a part of what God is doing here at Point, connect with us at www.pointchurch.live. Thank you.